All right. So I have a question for you for this cold open, Max. Okay. So we know that the famous song for this movie is If You Leave. Is it? Uh, yeah, that is the famous song for the soundtrack. Okay. Uh, so my question to you is what is the name of the group that made the song If You Leave? I'll give you three guesses. I know you're not going to like necessarily know or like, but just put random thoughts together as far as what that group might be called. Is it, I mean, is it a group I'm going to know or is it just a, it's not a group you're going to know. Let's see an eighties group, some funky ass name. Metal leotards. No, but I love where your head's going. (laughs) I got nothing else. That's all I got. (laughs) Okay. I'll give you a hint. The prom scene at the end, there's a big old picture background of something behind them as they're performing the song. Oh, the orchestra. So that is one of the words in their name. Dear God, is their name Empty Orchestra? No, that'd be hauntingly beautiful. It would, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'll go ahead and tell you. Their name is Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. (laughs) And Maneuvers is spelled M A N. O E U V R E S. Which is technically right, but completely wrong. <laughs> what? Why? The 80s, man. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. well hello and welcome to bro mancing the stone it's the podcast for myself renee sanchez and my good buddy max lyon what a watch rom-coms and then record our thoughts and paste Place them on the internet <laughs> Copy for the tens, tens of listeners listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm inside with my baseball and my weed and <laughs> it's raining outside. I'm happy. It's a April Sunday. Yes, it's an <laughs> April Chicago. Sunday. I had a mimosa this morning. There you go. I woke up and literally just said, it's mimosa day. <laughs> you know. And now I have a uh, fucking headache from one goddamn mimosa because I'm 33. Yeah. 
which is the same age as Iona in the movie Pretty in Pink, which is what we watched this week. Is that actually her age? Because that's my guess. Okay. Because she says that you know she says fifteen years in age difference between her and oh yeah okay. Andy yeah, and so I would assume Andy's eighteen since she's a senior and about to graduate. Um, I think she's a senior. Well, that explains why we were both so attracted to her. <laughs> uh, Iona? Yeah, because she was our age. I even put a tweet. Like, I actually live tweeted this film nice. on Twitter, at BrotherStonePod. And so, uh, yeah, I uh, actually live tweeted. I mentioned, is Iona a cougar? Because she's the same age as Max and I, and I refuse to believe that's a cougar. Like that's we're not at yeah, the cougar we're not, age. We're yet. not cougar age yet. That's no. Like that's a prime, you know, vixen. That's, that's cougar starts. I feel like maybe early forties minimum. I would think that too myself. Thirties, yeah. um, no, no. Thirties is not. Yeah, cougar I, would, I would hope not. No. You know, but but you know, yeah. it, it is what it, it is. is. What it is. So. Maybe in the but, 80s it was. In the fucking 80s, man. <laughs> you never fucking know. Yeah. The 80s were a different time, which we will get into Jesus. for sure. Uh, Pretty in Pink is a 1986 American teen romantic comedy drama film about love and social cliques in American high schools in the 1980s. A cult classic. It is commonly identified as a Brat Pack film. Which so, is what? That was kind of like the Molly Ringwald, James Spader, you know, that kind, John Hughes. Like, those are all kind of put into this, like, separate area called, like, Brat Pack. And then later on in, like, the early two, early to mid-2000s with, like, Will Ferrell movies and movies of that ilk, they called those, like, Frat Pack movies. Like, Will Ferrell, uh... Ben Stiller, like, like, the Zoolander movies and, like, Anchorman and, like, those types. So, like, it's just a little separate thing. It's like an unofficial term that doesn't really mean much, but okay. people kind of identify it as. So. Interesting. Uh, this film was directed by Howard Deutsch, who it was his first time directing. Deutsch. It was produced by uh, Lauren Schuler Donner, and it was written by John Hughes, who also served as co-executive producer. And the film was named after a song by the Psychedelic Furs in the film's soundtrack, which has been acclaimed as among the most brilliant in modern cinema. Features a re-recorded version of the song, or of the song Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs, which is what you hear at the beginning of the film. Wait, 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 wait. They're saying this soundtrack to this movie is one of the, the what? It's considered uh, one of the more brilliant uh, soundtracks in modern cinema. Really? Yeah. And if you leave by orchestral maneuvers in the dark, oh, which if you would have heard of the in the uh, uh, cold open, uh, became an international hit and charted at number four on the Billboard Hot 100 in May of 1986. Um, oh. The soundtrack. Uh, let me see. The soundtrack had, of course, if you leave. Um, it had Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs. Orchestral maneuvers. In the dark. It's, it's breaking you, isn't it? It really, like, what shit were they cracked up on, for fuck's sake? I don't know. 
I don't know. And to get um, a group of people to agree to it. That's the mind-blowing part. Not just one person. <laughs> but they also have a song by Suzanne Vega and Joe Jackson. They have a song by NXS. They have a song by New Order. They have a song by Echo and the Bunnymen. They have a, and then they have Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want by the Smiths. Uh, which Ducky is listening to when he was sat in his bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Those are all well-known 80s acts. All of them ended up on the soundtrack. And that's something that's kind of lost is the art of the soundtrack. I feel like the soundtrack needs to make a comeback. Because I remember when we were in like that tween to teenage, I remember the American Pie films, not just for the tits and ass and (laughs) and all that. But I remember it for the like the pop punk <laughs> soundtracks that they came up with. Like Yeah, that's true. Like even lesser ba- like not only like Blink 182, but like Phoenix TX and like all these other stupid like pop punk bands that no one should really know, but I still remember from my, you know, young days. Well, I'm sure I'm sure with Gen Xers, like this soundtrack is is not lost. Like I think probably just with our generation. Like, cause I, I sure is like, you're naming off all these, these acts. And I'm like, I can't remember a time I've ever heard of any one of these songs or bands. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck that. I, I really don't have any knowledge of like eighties pop culture that like, well, no, not pop culture, but at least music. And if my, if my brother heard me say that. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, yeah. Well, this film stars Molly Ringwald, as who starred in Sixteen Candles, of course. Mm-hmm. Harry Dean Stanton gets second billing. He's the plays the father. Uh, John Cryer, who plays yeah. Philip Ducky Dale. Fucking Ducky. Why is he called yeah. Ducky? Uh, I, I'm not sure, honestly. He taps I his feel... feet at the end. Was that a clue yeah. to something? I, I don't know. Why is I, I don't call Ducky. I, I have no idea. I um, We're just supposed to accept this. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it is what it is. This dude walks <laughs> around call, being called Ducky. All right. I that's your name then. Yeah. Annie Potts, who that's Iota. Yep. And then James Spader. And then finally, Andrew McCarthy. James fucking Spader. James Spader, prime 80s fuckboy James Spader. Oh, my God. It is quite the performance. We'll talk about that performance. Um, So the production company and the distributor, according to Wikipedia, is Paramount Pictures. So, And yet, this is not on Paramount Plus, so we had to rent it on Amazon. Looking at you, Paramount. Looking at you. You want to refund us that $3? That'd be great. Yeah. How about you refund the fucking 10 I'm paying you a month so I can watch the challenge all-stars, you assholes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, an episode upon episode of Legends of the Hidden Temple when I can't sleep. So <laughs> Seriously, man. I did. I watched like three more episodes last night. It was fucking insane. Was, so our, our talk about that inspired me to like start looking up to see what cartoons from my childhood they had. And yeah, I, I fucking found Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Also, 
I did not realize how fucking old that is. That was not current when we were growing up. No, it was it was made like when we were born, and then they just kept playing the reruns. It was before that. The first series or the first season was eighty three. Damn. Yeah. That, oh. Right. Isn't that mind blowing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I was kind of mind blown too. I was like, I thought this was like right when we were born. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I. Well, I looked up Double Dare, and Double Dare went from eighty six to ninety three. But like the first series, they literally made so many episodes that they had two hundred sixteen episodes, all from like the first two years. Oh damn! And it was just like they made so many episodes of syndication. Cause like that's how those game shows worked is that they would co- they would oh, just yeah. like film eight episodes in a day like you know because they could just bang them out in like an hour or two right and so they would just film like you know okay let's try to get as many episodes done in a day and then so like in a week they'd have like a whole twenty to you know they'd have a month done in a week you know and they just stack and stack and stack <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah <laughs> anyway. Well, we're talking about movies here, especially <laughs> Pretty in Pink. Um, Fucking Pretty in Pink. Let's go. It was a, officially released on January 29th of 1986 at the Man's Chinese Theater. That was the premiere that they had. What is... I feel like... And that's I two should... years before my birth. Exactly two years before my birth. Oh, yeah, it is. Yep. Look at you sharing a birthday. <laughs> with pretty and pink with anyway. pretty and pink who was born in the chinese theater what is so special about the chinese theater i feel like i should know this uh it's uh in hollywood and movies premiere there oh is that like the stereotypical place where... yeah that's yeah it was just it was kind of like the just this cool place to watch a movie and then they started doing like Hollywood premieres there. Like this is the first showing of this in Hollywood. Oh, okay. And that's it. Cause it's also right there on like the Hollywood walk of fame. So it's just like in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Right. Okay. Uh, it was released nationwide on February 28th of 1986. Okay. Uh, the running time is 96 minutes. It felt longer. Wow. This is a yeah. It felt like over it, two hours. It felt like a two-hour movie, like an hour 50. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised by that. The budget of the film is $9 million. Okay. That's about right, I would think. How much did it make in the box office? $15 million. Made $40.4 million. Wow. So, made four times its budget. It's about... Yeah, I mean that's that's just like a a solid, you know, a nice single, possibly a double. You know what I mean? That's just pretty much what you're looking for. Got that's on true. base. That's true. And that's it. So it's <laughs> <laughs> consistent hitter, man. It just keeps putting contact on the ball and yeah. That's what you gotta do. So I think the first thing I wanna talk about with regard or well before we do that, I mean, we're I have actually wait a minute. I'm jumping. Hang on, listen. Do you hear anything? 
I do not hear your chair. Yeah, I got a new chair. I should have led the episode with oh, that. Oh, I got a new chair. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So now you don't hear me squeaking. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you, sir. It feels much better. And it's a much quieter room now. <laughs> um, there's 54 reviews for this film in Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. What is the Rotten Tomatoes score for this film? Oh, let's see. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they loved this kind of shit. So 87%. It's a 74%. Oh, okay. So it's certified fresh technically because it's above 70, but it's still down a little bit. Uh, The critics consensus is Molly Ringwald gives an outstanding performance in the sweet, intelligent teen comedy that takes an ancient premise and injects it with insight and wit. Okay. And there's uh, there are some negative reviews though. <laughs> the Paul and Atanasio Paul Atanasio is, is he wrote That's a mouthful. In the end Pretty in Pink is as fraudulent as the junk it's supposed to transcend. What the fuck does that even mean, dude? That's so vague. Yeah. It I don't know. Um, Nigel Andrews of the Financial Times. I don't know why they're doing movie (laughs) reviews, but uh, neither author Hughes, who wrote it, nor director Howard uh, Deutsch can stop the needle getting stuck in in a too familiar groove. Again, what? Like, saying that the movie's too familiar, which, eh. How so? But see what I mean? Like, they don't elaborate on, like, what's too familiar about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you read, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing. No, 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 you shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Goldstein of the Los Angeles Times gave it a positive review, saying, These kids have a bumpy ride, but this is one film that identifies with their passions instead of indulging them. Uh, giving us a perfect backseat view of kids out cruising, not for kicks, but for a hard-earned sense of pride. I I don't know if I'd say hard-earned sense of pride, but... I mean, yeah, I guess to a point, yeah. Um, And then Richard Corliss of Time Magazine wrote, First-timer Howard Deutsch is a nice surprise, too. His precise, unexploitative direction is sympathetic to the awkward pauses and teen talk, to the mopery of first love. Like mopery uh, is in like yeah. yeah. And and then to the suicidal bravado of words spoken in heat. <laughs> That's fucking so true. <laughs> it's it's basic basically he's in that review, he's saying Oh, the melodrama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is John Hughes high school fem- films in a nutshell. Oh, the melodrama. Jesus. Uh, it's. I will say this. First and foremost, the critics, cons- critics consensus and what they said 
about Molly Ringwald in particular, I completely 100% agree. I shit on her performance in 16 Candles. I just, her performance in 16 Candles looked like that of a young teen reciting lines yes. in one of their first films. She was much and, better in this. In this film, she knocked it out the goddamn part. Yeah. The fucking, the scene where she is insisting on uh, Blaine to tell her why he won't take her to prom. Yeah. Like, to make him say it. That was the angst and the anger filled because she already knew what it was about. It's everything she's been fighting against her whole entire high school career. It's everything she's reminded of every day. And now what she thinks is love is being taken away from her because the guy that she trusted and put her love into is being a fucking puss about it. Yeah. What <laughs> like, the fuck, man? Because, because of like these societal norms, it's just, you know, that was, that was well done. You could hear that, like the anger was real there. And like, just the fact that she was willing to be that angry in such a public setting without any like hesitation is completely and utterly 18 year old female. Oh, like, totally. Totally. Yeah. And also, I love the scene she had with the principal as well. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Yeah. He was... I thought that was well written. Yeah. And I felt like she really let the principal know, like, hey, I know the score here. You know the score here. I'm not gonna be up I'm not gonna be all up in your business right now, but stop trying to talk down to me. And telling me to conform. She was always pretty refreshingly honest. And I think that gets mentioned about her at least once by someone else in yeah. the movie. It was like, you're, you're really I think Ducky, Ducky mentions it, but at the same time, he mentions it the same way he mentions anything about her. As in, you know, she, like, she, he, it's, it's <laughs> to steal a phrase from the 40 year old virgin. He puts the pussy on a pedestal <laughs> and he's, he's basically put her on a pedestal since like the young age that they've been friends. Right. He's constantly, he, like he says, like he says admire and wants to take care of and all this other sort of stuff. And it's just like, he wants to be the hero for the, like for the girl. And like, he, puts her on this as this trophy and he's trying to win the trophy and he's created this competition in his head to get the trophy instead of just paying attention to her as a human being. Yeah. It's and so a, he it's a competition. sees the qualities. So he sees the qualities in her, but he doesn't know the qualities. Like he just, he's like, Oh yeah, she's really nice and kind and honest and all this other sort of stuff. But like, but he doesn't, absorb it or like grasp that yeah he wants the he's he's infatuated with the idea of it the end result mm -hmm. rather than like the reality of what it would mean to actually be in a relationship with her or date her you know yes and and all that it would entail yeah. and which is why ducky is is tough to take ducky it, ducky is a fucky I I want to slap him. <laughs> Ducky's the worst, <laughs> and the reason why he's the worst is because he's being portrayed as misguided, much like Farmer Ted in Sixteen Candles was misguided. But you could kind of be like, "Oh, but he's a freshman," and "Oh, it was the '80s," and "Oh, like 
And like in that one, it was kind of like this fantasy realism that they had in that world. Yeah. In 60 Candles. And this one, it's very much set in a very realistic situation. Right, right. In, in a very like, you know, like real, like in, in a suburb of Chicago where there's a definite class distinction in like at this high school. So like all this, you know, this like, just pushing and hounding and everything else like that. It's, it's not cute. <laughs> it's just not, it's not cute from him. No, no, it's not. Were we, were we ever told which suburb it was specifically? I mean, we just saw Elgin at the beginning. Yeah. But now that I think about it, Elgin has like, that could have easily been the, the manufacturer of the, of the, uh, Oh, not necessarily. Elgin, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but that would make sense because I was, but I was thinking like, from what I know about Elgin, I was like, I don't know if there is that much of a class distinction. Maybe there was in the eighties. I know Naperville is now, and that's not, I guess, too far South from Elgin. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All the ritzy snobs with, they still got beamers too. It's still the, it's still the, the marquee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just, I had no patience for Ducky in this film. No. I, no. And, uh. and also, some, there was actually someone who was worse than him. Well, in of this course. Film. Of course. And it was, 80s James Spader. Fucking Ultron. That's who it fucking was. Ooh, he is fantastic he, in this role. Because he is the worst. Absolute worst. My God. I, like, when he, when Ducky and Steph get in a fight, as I said to you while the fight was happening, like, I'm cool with any and all punches that land here. Like I'm yep. like, yeah, if both sides can get their shots in, I'm cool with it. Yep. And like, my God, just. And then they the had to go and off, break it up. Yeah, I know. The thing that bothered me the most about the beginning of this film is that even though it's 96 minutes and it felt longer because it started slower. And the reason it felt like it started slow, because they literally threw every character in the film that has any sort of speaking role in the film. And they just had them speak instead of doing any sort of like introduction as to who the character is or like not point, even like yeah. not even any like exposition like, oh, so and so said such and such. And then you get introduced to so and so because like someone else talked about him in a right, previous right, scene. Right. You just all of a sudden you just meet James Spader's Steph as he's fucking sitting on the car of Andy. Just like, hey, why haven't we banged yet? Like, it's just like immediately just hitting on her, just absolutely disgustingly talking about how they should just have sex. Yeah, he's and a real piece like, of shit. You, you suck. You're the worst. He is a real piece of work. It's good to see him, like, have a role at least. Like, um, you know, how old was he in this? Probably in his early 20s. And then he grows up and becomes uh-huh. Ultron. I mean, the feathered hair, the, and then the fact that he gets jealous and he can't stand to see someone else like 
get her and also like just get her like not even the whole like they have a possibility of a relationship or anything yeah just anyone get her so he immediately tries to poison that well and it's just like bite oh he is so good at being the fucking worst and then like what happens when what what was it when uh oh the final the confrontation where she the scene you already brought up where she's screaming at him, just say it, just say it. I want to hear you say it. That confrontation. Yeah. And then he comes up with that lame ass excuse or whatever and walks away. And James Spader is hanging out in the fucking stairwell being like, mm-hmm. being, being like a casual studly creep. You just like smoking a cigarette in the staircase, arms crossed, just, you know, just paying attention from yeah, afar. Like just, backlit you know, just, by the sunlight smoking like what is he fucking yeah. james dean what is this shit i don't just close enough to hear and see everything but far enough to be out of earshot and eye shot from anyone and it's not bad enough that the guy comes past you and you say something like you know told you so kind of attitude but then as he mm-hmm. continues to walk away the guy that you've keep in mind this is the guy that you've given an ultimatum to on your friendship now he's walking away. He's clearly chosen your friendship, at least for the time being, over this girl. Mm-hmm. He's walking away from you, and this is the time you choose to kick him while he's down. Like, you yeah. just start keep spitting shit about how horrible of a person that girl is and all this shit, and he, you know, like, Jesus, dude. Yeah. All kinds of dick. And as if Steph is the dick, then I guess the lack of a better term, theoretical pussy of this <laughs> scenario here is Blaine. Because he totally gets fucked over by the dick. And like, it, it just, why would you, why would Blaine ever consider Steph an actual friend? Like, other than proximity and net worth of their parents dude high school there's no other reason high school is a fucking bitch man like like i look back on that shit now as if like yeah it's stupid why the fuck and then i think yeah i probably would have pulled shit like that in that situation like high school man you're a weird fucking dude yeah i mean and the priorities are all fucked up too back then. Like, you know, that's why so much melodrama existed in this movie. <laughs> but before we talk more about Blaine, I just want to reiterate the three male characters in this film. We have Ducky, Steph, and Blaine. And, and you- it's very easy to say about all three of these male characters that they're all dumb. They're, and if they're we all done, learned yes. anything, and if we learned something from Sixteen Candles, it was that boys are dumb. <laughs> and if we learned anything from this, is that John Hughes, if he's writing the film, just know boys are dumb, just and they the will be written high as school, such. High school boys too, especially. It it kind of oh. doesn't stop there because if we talk no. about the dad, no, 
If we talk about the dad, like Andy's father, who won't go to fucking job interviews because he wants to be depressed. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. Like, even he's dumb. Like, he, he loves someone who never loved him back. Yeah. Yeah. And and then created a life there and then had to take care of that life after she split. And you're, she was tired of a shit. You're living in that fantasy because it's more comfortable than facing the reality that she won't come back. Like mm-hmm. Andy says, finally shakes him out of it. That's what he needs to hear. Yeah. I mean, she tries. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening over there with, <laughs> I mean, with the dad. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a long journey. He's got a lot of shit to get over. It's going to take, yeah. it's going to take a while, but you know, one that, step at a time. And if a job is what he needs is the first step, fucking do it. Yeah. Get out there. Mm-hmm. Start doing shit again. Get out of this shitty fucking routine. This dark gray fantasy that you've created for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, something I thought of though, with with Andy and Blaine I kind of part of me truly believed them as a couple and like there was a chemistry between Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy yeah at the at the same time Andrew McCarthy's only acting ability in this film was the same look which was like this wide-eyed almost crazed look like kind like i would say like the wide-eyed like baby deer look where he was just like and just like his eyes would get big and just like uh, yeah yeah you know oh yeah yeah <laughs> like well, well he did uh, he uh, seemed like a beta that was trying to fit in with the alphas and yeah yes which or like a beta who was put in an alpha role, yes. but it wasn't truly an alpha, which coincidentally is what you could easily say about Jake Ryan in 16 Candles. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just like, huh, there's a type that, that John Hughes is writing in these films, isn't there? Um, and then, you know, Ducky is a misguided, his feelings of, you know, love and, are misguided for the for Molly Ringwald, but at the end he goes he acquiesces because she truly feels for someone else and he realizes it. Yeah, what much the like shit? Farmer Ted in Sixteen Candles. What the shit, man! I'm tired of these fucking archetypes here. Jesus. Yeah, it's just like it, okay, John. <laughs> like we got you. We we understand what you're saying. Um, you you said it before. Yeah, <laughs> but then. In this one, then there's socioeconomic politics. And also, you just you, you get to see girls being bullies, which I feel like gets lost in high school. But girls are really mean to girls. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, you see the archetypical, like, males, like, beating up on, you know, males. Like, you see Ducky getting beat up or thrown in the girls' restroom by the three, like, <laughs> bullies at one point. Uh, but I did that like, to a kid in third grade and got detention for it. Yes, you should. Have. That was the <laughs> one. That was the one bully type thing I think I ever did in school, and that was <laughs> he. He was a little shit though. He deserved it. He was being such an asshole to everyone else. Yeah, I uh, I once got 
like an in school suspension. Uh, it was like it was like an in school suspension for a day because there's this kid who in like yeah, I think it was middle school or it might have been freshman year of high school, but it was just this kid who would just be like, "Hey, what's up, Renee?" Like would always talk to me like PE or whatever. Fuck those. And kids. then one time, <laughs> but like, and, and he, but like. I don't know. It was just, it was obviously like a kid who like, I don't know. I, I, I could beat in any sort of athletic contest, which there wasn't a lot of people I could do that with, but like he was one of them. <laughs> and so I don't know. We were jogging around the gym one time and I just like was about, I was about to jog past him. And so I thought in my freshman brain, like it'd be funny to just like kind of slap him on the back and be like, Hey, what's up, buddy? You know, just, freshman what freshman boys do to each oh, other because yeah. we're stupid and oh, horrible because yeah. boys are dumb and so i smacked his back and he just looks ah like you know fucker like you know that sort of thing but then his i guess like it left a handprint on his back and then his mom saw it and then reported it to me and then i reported it and he told like who hit him and so then i it came back to me and i got a mid school suspension i never talked to the kid again <laughs> I was like, I was like uh, you can't be trusted. Yeah, <laughs> like, seriously. It was, it was, you know, it, it was, it was a shitty joke. I agree. I apologize <laughs> for hitting you on the back, but we should probably not talk again because you know I may do something stupid again in the future, and rather not get in trouble for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so hey, fuck those kids. But once again. Boys are dumb, Boys especially are in high school. Fucking dumb! Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I, now looking back, I love the. I I really I do start to understand the whole like the mindset that we had in high school, like uh, of in not invincibility, although that was part of it, but like just that we understood everything. You know, like the way that Blaine fucking tells her, you know, I love you and forever. And then kisses her on the cheek and like casually walks away. And it's like, yeah, fuck. I remember that melodrama in high school where you thought like, this is it. This is the rest of my life. This is. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I'm going to love this woman forever. This is like, this is what's meant to be. This is like that. You know, the, the fucking Dwight Eisenhower 50s era fucking found my high school sweetheart. And yeah. Now I'm going to be married for 50 years and have a white picket fence God. while there's never going to be another war to fight. Yeah. I had that dream in high school with my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Who, who, I, I remember during the, the movie, her best friend gave her a very similar ultimatum. When we first started dating. And I just remembered that during the movie. It was really fucking weird. And so I'm glad to see it in a movie. And know that my 8th grade. 8th grade, mind you. Is when I started dating my high school girlfriend. 8th grade. She pulled that shit. And my 8th grade brain was like. Nah, that ain't cool. Like. That's not right, right? Like. You can't do that. You can't make her choose. So obviously that friend had a crush on you. You think? No. Yes. That's the only reason. The only reason Steph 
does that to Blaine is because Steph wanted to bang, wanted to hit it first. He wanted to have Ray J rights on her. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> she, that, that joke, you'll, you don't get it. And I understand, but that's one of my favorite jokes I've ever come up with on top of my dome, but I don't care. <laughs> he wanted Ray J rights on her. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll explain it. Ray J had a song. Cause like Kanye West like got with Kim Kardashian after the Kim Kardashian sex tape, the Kim Kardashian sex tape was with an artist named right, Ray J. Right, right. And then, uh, and then Ray J made a diss track to Kanye West, uh, entitled "I Hit It First. <laughs> and the chorus literally goes, "I hit it, I hit it, I hit it, I hit it, I hit, it, I hit it first." <laughs> so yeah. Um, that's what I mean. Anyway, <laughs> but I think the friend, the friend of your your girlfriend back then wanted you, and that's why she was like, she probably had feelings for you since like sixth grade, but never could say anything, and like never it was like because like she didn't know you at all, and yeah, she was, I was too nervous. Say, I don't even think I know you. I don't think I even really fucking knew who she was. See, that can happen because like especially in like middle school you see someone from afar and you're just like oh my god they're so like oh that's um, true like you just immediately like are attracted to them and then you're just like and then in your whole middle school you know hurt like horrible adolescent brain you're just like oh they would never go for me so therefore you make sure that that person that you admire from afar never knows of your existence because if they did, they would hate your existence because you hate your existence. And so then but in your head, you know, I've got I've had these feelings for them since here. And now all of a sudden, two years later, this is brought up where someone's just like, I think I might go out with him. <laughs> Hold the fuck on. <laughs> but don't so, you know then, I love you? Come on. Like I've never told you. you. I've, don't you know I've loved him for two years and kept it a deep, dark secret in the pits of my loins because I don't feel worthy of his love? So, therefore, this friendship will be over if you make a move. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, just, well, fuck, fuck adolescence. Adolescence is the stupidest. I hate it. Luckily, my girlfriend called her bluff and followed through on that ultimatum, and it was enjoyable. There you go. Yeah, fuck adolescence though. Adolescence is like what the the stark like rash decisions we make at that age is just insane. Looking back on now, like fuck it, ain't like the amount of emotions that we let drive our decisions was hilarious. The melodrama that we allowed to fester because we because of our inactions. Like you're saying, like, you know, seeing someone from afar and then not doing anything about it and then being like, what the fuck, man? I laid claim to you first, even though no one else knew about it. Mm -hmm. Now, there's we've talked about the characters, we've talked about the movie, but there was something else I definitely wanted to bring up regarding this film. That I think is important to talk about. There is a groundswell of fans of this movie who believe that Ducky should have been the one that 
Andy ends up with. You know, there were a couple moments in the movie I thought that too. I wondered if it was going to end up that way. Yes. Um, And so, and also, John Hughes, and this is from, this is well known, and this is an article written on Salon.com by Kevin Smokler back in February of 2016. Okay. Uh, The title is, The Trouble with Ducky, How Pretty and Pink's Most Lovable Character Gave a generation of teenage boys the wrong idea. Um, hmm. And then from this article, uh, he writes about how John Hughes, uh, quote, John Hughes originally wrote Pretty in Pink with Blaine leaving the prom and Andy and Ducky ending up together. If not romantically, then at least geographically on the dance floor. Like they didn't necessarily like kiss and like you know embrace or anything, but they were dancing together. Yeah, that at the end of that the would have made the entire movie pointless. But go on. Test audiences booed this ending. Thank you. So the filmmakers, re- so the filmmakers reshot it to have Andy and Blaine end up together, which test audiences liked a lot more. Fans who hated the change refer to it as Ducky Gate. <laughs> highlighting the seeming unfairness of the quirky kid having to sacrifice the object of his love because it, her popular cute boyfriend isn't actually the jerk the quirky kid thought he was. Can you, can you really <laughs> sacrifice something you never fucking had? The next, next paragraph. Uh, the other way to see this ending is to take both Cryer's word for it when he told author Susanna Gora the whole movie seems to be about trying to bridge the divide between the rich and the poor. You can't send the message that interclass romances can't possibly work. And then also Ringwald. Um, Ringwald campaigned for MacArthur to get the role of Blade because he wasn't a square jaw GQ model like Michael Sheffling, Jake Ryan and 16 Candles, mm. but rather what the Phillips producers called a shy, twerpy little guy. <laughs> and what the actress... And what the actress called definitely the kind of guy I would fall in love with. <laughs> in other words, Ringwald saw her character having a best friend like Ducky, yet also falling for a guy with a whole lot of Ducky-like qualities. Yeah, because if if he really is her childhood friend, then that part of her childhood would have molded her her vision of boys, too. And so she would yes. naturally be a... a probably attracted to certain qualities that are shared. It's the worst part of being a friend to someone that you have feelings for in that you're going to see someone probably end up with someone a lot like you. And you're going to wonder, well, why couldn't have been me, but it just wasn't. And that's tough to swallow, especially in high school. Um, It's tough to swallow at any age. Yeah. It's tough to swallow at any age, really. Yeah, because our human ass brains want to make sense of shit like that. Like, but yeah, but if I think about this hard enough, I can unravel the puzzle and figure it out so I don't repeat the mistake. So it doesn't happen again. I avoid the pain next time. And and I will give the film credit for this, that, you know, initially, like Ducky's response to the whole thing, that whole night of the date that she has with Blaine where Ducky like initially tells her off at the record store yeah. and then acts a fucking fool at the club. Um, and gives Iona the kiss that makes her Lloyd Sapphire. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Gosh, Iona was so. What, what did she say? I, I, I will. I'm gonna be honest. When he when he kissed her, when he laid it on me, my thighs got hot. <laughs> yeah, I felt a fire in my th- through my thighs. <laughs> um, <laughs> like what year was this movie? And that's like, what they're. Damn. That's what okay. she's saying. All right, yeah. all right. Um, but the uh, but yes, like at the same time, he acts that fool initially. But then as he's, you know, following along and whatever else he does with where he follows her because he's ducky and quote unquote misguided and not creepy, you know, not restraining order worthy. Um, yeah, he's, but, just, he's just quirky. Right? Yeah, he's just quirky, just quirky. But at the same time, there's a there's also a space between them. They're no longer talking all the time. He's having to actually be alone with his thoughts. Mm-hmm. and actually process everything and then and like all he does is in defense of her is fight Steph other than that he's processing the fact that she's just not into him so then it makes it a little more easier for him to let her go in that situation at the prom actually it, uh, if you take that a little further you could you could say that since he was there alone processing it alone like you said Maybe he was, he was finally, or not finally, I shouldn't say finally. He was getting to a point where he didn't need her as much anymore. Yeah. Where she had always been kind of the crutch, you know, and and then it grew into a fantasy that he could kind of lean on as like a backdoor, you know, like option. As an escape, as an escape to their situation, because obviously if he's, been childhood friends with her. They live on the same side of the tracks, which of course there's a train that literally goes by her fucking house because she lives on the wrong side of the goddamn tracks. That couldn't have been more, more subtle. Yeah, that's true. Deutsch. Anyway, uh, but they obviously live on the wrong side of the tracks. So therefore it's a lot easier to con- like, once you connect with someone to then use that as your, like hold on to it as your escape right. from the shitty world. Right. And so, well, and she even brings That's... that up at one point. Like she says, she asks him, "What are we doing after this? Like, what are yeah, what are we what doing? Are we doing? Yeah." And she's she's moving on and like you know being independent. Like, throw your hands up at me. Mm-hmm. All the mamas making dollars. Throw your hands up at me. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but like, yeah, he's not willing. Like, he's his thought is marry the girl figure things out after yep and it's just like that's not that you you twisted that around the wrong way that was my that was my mindset in high school as well i thought i had shit all figured out i already had the girl in my dreams we'd been together for several years so it was like all right shit's already figured out i'm gonna marry her i'm gonna go get my architecture degree be good Life will just magically yeah. fall into place. Uh, and, high school naivete. Yeah. And that leads me to what happens after ever after. Uh, yeah, there's no way Blaine and Andy stay together. <laughs> <laughs> um, no way in fucking hell. Uh, like, <laughs> because they're going to change as human beings because they're only 18 years old. 
their circumstances are not going to change. She's still not going to be of his social class. And at some point, it's just going to be too much of a burden, especially because it's probably going to be distance because she's probably going to go to a different school than Blaine because of, you know, social structures. Right. Like, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that yeah, point, that's, that's he tough. just moves on. I could see them also, trying to date during college at some point, but it would have to be like its own I mean, relationship, you know, like they're going to like, they would break up like probably sophomore year of college. Like they'd, they'd <laughs> make it through the first year I feel, but like not like all the way. And then like that summer between freshman and sophomore year, they're hanging out a lot with like other people that they've met in college more than they're hanging out with each other, even though they're still together and they finally have time to hang out. They're just like, Oh, we get to hang out. They're, like in their mind, they're thinking it's going to re- rehash those love feelings that we had leading up to the prom from high school. But really, if they're going to realize this, I feel like this is more of an obligation to spend time with you right now instead of actually being in a relationship with you. And then by the end of that summer, they're going to be like, are we still together? Uh, I think so. And then by the time like fall break happens, they're just going to be like, yeah, what are we what are we fighting for at this point? You know? As, as you know, as Blaine, as Blaine declines another, you know, offer of a Hummer at the frat house that he lives in, <laughs> in October, you know, he's just like, man, why am I denying all these Hummers for? No, huh, it's, it's not Hummers. This is in early 2000s. That would have been if we were going to college. <laughs> no, they still blew people in the 80s. <laughs> like, did they, the have, 80s were still blew- did they have Hummers in the 80s? I'm not talking about the vehicle, dog. I'm uh, talking about blowing. That's what I just said. Did they, they Hummers would have been in the. Wait, what? I'm talking about blowjobs. You said Hummers. Yes, Hummer is another way of saying blowjob. Get the fuck out of here. Since when? I I shit you not. Look up. Look it up on Urban Dictionary. Are you serious? Yeah. What the? How? Why? What does that even mean? I, it, like I've I've I feel like I heard it in like a show or movie, but I've heard Hummer as like Urban Dictionary Hummer. More than a blowjob, it's when a girl actually hums, thus vibrating her lips when the mouth has encased your engorged penis or balls. There you go. Thank you, Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> they also prov- they they provide a pronunciation too. If <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Homer. <laughs> Homer. Homer. Actually, Humer. it's more. No, it's actually oh. <laughs> 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 All right. So, um, Jesus. Let's go to the. <laughs> Also, I, I feel like Andy and, and Ducky's friendship kind of goes along the wayside. Like if they see each other, they're really cordial and Honestly, they catch up. But they don't they don't keep talking to each other I, after high school. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too keen on like and any Steph's of the protagonists. Jail. Steph's in fucking jail. Steph's if he has an, if he has an OD, he's in jail. Steph's a fucking little bitch deep down inside. He needs to deal with some shit. Like homeboy. He might tells OD. Him, he probably OD. If he doesn't deal with the shit, yeah, I could see it going in that direction. I don't know. Maybe, right. maybe, uh, what's his face? Um, 
the protagonist, Jesus. Blaine. 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 What fucking name ass? What kind of name ass is that? Jesus. A solid. That's a major appliance. That's a major appliance. I fucking loved that line. That that's was a great joke. Such a good joke. That was John Cryer's best line. Yeah, easily. Uh, when he was acting, when Ducky was being the worst, he had his best line. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to John Cryer on that. Get the fuck out of here with, oh, they, they shorted John Cryer's character. Oh, poor Ducky. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, there's a bunch of nerds who watch this and were just like, uh, why can't I have the girl? Well, um, I'm all for the geek getting the girl kind of thing. And like, yeah, more often than not, I'm sure most high schoolers go through that reality versus the rich jock, you know. But mm-hmm. he's not the character that wins that (laughs) like you got to pick a different kind of geek like that's not you gotta choose your battles yeah yeah, yeah. 60% of the shit that he did was like unacceptable like dude I calling her and leaving a message multiple times within a half hour is grounds for expulsion from friendship and romantic entanglements riding your bike past her house constantly creeping on her is not cool while doing while doing 80s bmx freestyle tricks <laughs> yeah i find it hard to believe john crier was doing those he, he was a i know you could see him anyway <laughs> um well the, as far as the kiss in the movie though it does happen i feel like it's the very last kiss oh you're not gonna go with the first uh, one no I'm going to go with the last kiss in the parking lot. Cause that's kind of the well-known one uh, with John Hughes movies. Like the final kisses are well-known. Like they're, they're always staged well and always like framed properly, like in a way that's hard to forget at the same time. Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald kiss weird. They really time. fucking do dude. It was just like, uh, they really do. Their lips kind of moved, but not a lot. And like, it was just like mouths like open and they just kept twisting their heads together. And it was just like, uh, in the first kiss, they actually like kind of bounced off each other when they first made contact with their lips. Yeah. It was really weird. I, I would give it a B minus, honestly. Um, as far as the final kiss, like, cause the, the whole parking lot thing, she goes out to him, they they embrace, and it's just like, you hear, if you leave, you know, and all that. It, that all works. It, it's just the kiss once. itself sucks. I need you now, like I need you So breathy. I know. Well, uh, but then when you hit the key change, the I touch you once, I touch you twice. Yeah, I mean that that scene is. You're right. It is set up very nicely. Uh, the context, of course, is good, which is always key. But that kiss, the kiss itself, is so awful. They're both awful kissers, and. Yes. And like, I don't feel like there's much of an excuse. Molly Ringwald has some nice lips. I feel like there should be some good, passionate kisses going on. I mean, her kiss with Jake Ryan wasn't bad. But yeah. That's they just, like, I feel like, like, especially because we keep grading all these kisses, I feel like 
the solid kiss is literally don't move your head all the time. Yeah. Don't go crazy make out unless it like it, the passion of it really matters. But if you're going let in it, slow, let it bubble up to that. If you're going in slow, go slow. Like, the, I mean, we talked like Hitch was the very first movie we did. 90-10. And then meet lips and then use your body. Yes. To but yes. leave the lips there. Yes. Like maybe yes. move the lips a little bit, but like let the body yeah. do the yes, yes, hundred percent. The body, the body language has to take over from there. The yeah. meeting of the lips—that's the first step. Then that's like, oh, we've accepted that we're breaking the personal space bubble, <laughs> and we're yeah. physical contact. Now let's take it body wide. Yeah, and then if the person that you're you're kissing happens to have breasts, give a quick honka honka. A plus. <laughs> Simple, easy, to the point. Or start with anyway. the back and work your way around. Make it casual and slow. But don't <laughs> don't go don't go ninety and then like step on the gas and just fucking collide with her face. Yeah, exactly. I've done that before. I have too. Yeah, I have too. It's unfortunate. Lots. I mean, we we talked. You talked last week about how you try, you kissed the girl in a cave. Oh yeah, I kissed her eye. That was my high school girlfriend. Yeah, that yeah, was my first kiss. It was not her first kiss because, well, I didn't kiss her lips at first. So, <laughs> <laughs> three seconds later was her first yeah. kiss. But what grade do you give the kiss of the film? I'd give this one a like a C. Um, okay. the, the context that's, is that's great, solid. but yeah, yeah. And then, what verdict would you give this film? Um. I don't know. For me, I think for me personally, it's a kill. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely understand making the case to watch it once just for like cultural context. Yeah, I agree with you a, a lot there. Um, it It's not great. It's really fucking slow. Like it's that's it's, a big yeah. part. It's not good, but at the same time, we've seen worse. Yes. And, like, I could sit through this again if I had to. Like, if I was watching it with someone who, like, really enjoyed it. Or, like, I could. And, I mean. Yeah. And also, we've had a very easy discussion about this film. We've yeah. talked an hour yeah. about this film. With no. Like, and it has been very easy to talk an hour about this film. So there's a lot to talk about. This film gives you a lot. It's not just something where you can just shrug your shoulders like this fucking sucked and I hated it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I will give this a fuck. This is a fuck. Um, you know, that's totally. You see it once. It's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. So, uh, but yeah, I'm. I, I I personally won't seek it out again. But if I do watch it again. Yeah, it is what it is. And I can kind of understand some of those those critics' reviews about it being like a like a tired trope, you know. Like there's other yes. teen dramas out there, teen rom dramas, you know, coms yeah. out there. And it's like, yeah. is this the best in that group? No, not by any not by any means. Yeah. So yeah, that is that on that people. So. You can find our socials, uh, the show's Instagram at Bromancing the Stone Podcast. That's all one word together, Bromancing the Stone Podcast. 
I can find our Twitter where I live tweeted this uh, film or film watching experience uh, at Bro the Stone Pod. That's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then you can find me on Twitter at Supermarket Sweep without the E in Super. So that's S U P R Market Sweep. Uh, and then you can also find my Instagram at Relusa88. And that's R E L U S A 88. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted with a period, which is T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. And on Instagram, you can find me with a lion, the Lionhearted with an underscore instead of a period. Figure it out. I think that's yeah. backwards. Twitter is the underscore. I said I said Instagram period. twice, didn't I? Instagram uh, is T H E period L Y O N. Yeah, Twitter. And then the second one is Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't fucking look at them anymore. Yeah, he didn't do anything on Twitter, <laughs> but it's there. Um, I look so at it for news. Max, that's it. Yeah, Max, it is your choice for the next film. So you're gonna love this. You're gonna you're gonna fucking love this. So I saw this movie once when it first okay. came out. Um. Okay. We've done a movie with both of these people as the protagonist before. Okay. So I feel like, you know, there's, there's some context there. Mm. Um, and I remember it being pretty, um, pretty laughable uh, when I watched it. And I'm interested to watch it again from a new perspective. Okay. And plus, it's all tropical shit, and I'm really in that fucking mood. Like, I'm ready. That's fair. I am ready yeah. to see some tropical shit. Yeah. So, next week, we are going to watch Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson in Fool's Gold. <laughs> I thought that was the one. When he said we watched them together before, Did you? I was like, I think he's, I thought, I was thinking to myself, He's choosing fool's gold, isn't it? <laughs> All right. I have not seen this one. I am I am more than willing to watch it. You haven't seen it at all, uh, huh? Okay. Haven't seen it at all. So well, I'm I'm down. So <laughs> that should be a fun one. Uh so next week, fool's gold. Uh until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love you and we thank you. And we will catch you next week. Peace. Love you guys. Thank you.